Hey, welcome to the AOL Podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message with Pastor Travis Bennett. So Acts chapter 15, if you didn't get a syllabus, there's one on the uh, table back there, black table in, in between. And there may be some stuff on here that you might want to take home so you can get one. For I'm sure there's plenty back there. And so uh, we will continue after tonight's. I want to go through... Uh, um, as he goes into Europe, I want to talk about how he goes into Thessalonica. Uh, definitely Mars Hill, Corinth, and uh, we will, <clears throat> that'll be next week, and then we'll have first Wednesday, our first Wednesday service, and then we'll have a few uh, in May and finish it up. All right, Acts chapter 15, verse 35, it says, But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along. I love this. Who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul just couldn't let it go, could he? And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated. Look at this. And there occurred, this, I, this is bringing encouragement to me. I know I should read this, but this brings encouragement to me. How many of y'all know the Lord moved in the church in Acts, in the book of Acts? God's building his church. And even there, they had disagreements. Amen? They have disagreements, all right? This encourages me. It's, and, and they occurred such a sharp disagreement. That they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the church. Uh, now, bef- <clears throat> let's go ahead and get into this. Verse 35 and 36. I thought last week went really well, doing some commentary as we just um, go through all of it. And we'll go to chapter 16 tonight. But... In verse 35 and 36, it says, But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Always be obedient to that leading of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. I'm going to say that one more time. Always be obedient to that leading of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. How many of y'all know if you're in Pakistan, you need to be led by that spirit on the inside of you? There is somebody that needs to be, that maybe need a word of encouragement. But the Bible also says in Mark 16 that believers, maybe if you see somebody that's sick, lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Amen. It says, uh, but Paul said, I'm curious about how the believers we saw five years ago are doing. The same thing happens today. Suddenly, a situation, a need, or an opportunity will tug on your heart. The person next to you might not feel a thing, not because he's insensitive or unspiritual, but because meeting that particular need is not his calling. He's called you. The way of the Lord is to guide us individually through concerns we feel internally. You know, I'm so thankful how... Uh, being in ministry, sometimes I'll be walking through the mall and I'll run into somebody that maybe I saw in youth group 15, 16 years ago. And I saw a call of God on their life and they begin to tell me of things. And went, I, I ran into one the other day that I probably hadn't seen 15, 16 years. 
but I believe it was seeds. When I go with my dad in Westgate Mall during Christmas time, uh, we run into people. My dad was in children's ministry here for forever and walk through and see people that are in the ministry today. Isn't that, isn't that aren't you thankful for being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Verse 37 says, Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark, this is so good, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who deserted them in Pamphylia. Y'all remember the story as we went through this? Y'all remember when this happened? Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. This is how I see it. Let's take John Mark with us, Barnabas said. Uh, I know he backed out last time, but I see some potential in him. We can't afford to bring someone we can't count on. This is from Paul. Let's leave him here. I'm sure they're arguing right in front of the guy. You know they are. Paul said, what can he do for God's work? Barnabas said, what can God's work do for him? Hello. Who was right? They both were. When Paul was in prison awaiting his death, who did he send for to comfort him? Look at this, 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. The consoling ministry of Barnabas paid off, uh, who crisscrossed the known world with the gospel. Paul, the compelling ministry of Paul paid off. God often guides through interpersonal difficulty. Would you agree? Is it the best way? I don't think so. I think it's much better to hear a word of wisdom, to learn from a teaching, to receive counsel or an understanding from a gifted brother or sister. But a lot of times we are just too dull of hearing and hard of hearts to receive a word of wisdom or to make personal application from a Bible study. Sometimes we have to bump heads with someone for God to get us going in the right direction. I wish I could say my spiritual sensitivity is at such a level that I never have conflict with anyone at any time. I hear the voice of the Lord whispering in my ear in every situation. Consequently, I never have to go through contention or difficulty, but I'm, I'm not there, folks. You might be perfect, but not me. I find great comfort, however, knowing that even Paul the Apostle, at the high point of his ministry, was directed through interpersonal difficulty. You know what's amazing about this text is I've read the rest of the book uh, of Acts several times. And I just, it, it made me curious, although I didn't know that, there's not anywhere else he comes across the path of Barnabas. They completely split ways. And, and but isn't it amazing how God put it on, um, I mean, as we read in Second Timothy, God softened his heart towards John Mark. And I don't know that it was something that he didn't want to see Barnabas ever again. But even in that heated situation, because it says real clearly that it was sharp of the conversation that they had. And we've all had those sharp conversations inside the church. If you're looking at me like, no, I never have. You're a liar. All right? Uh, I, I, it's amazing how God takes things that may be evil and he turns them around for good. And how one went one direction, one went the other. And how much more God did through all of this. Verse 40, it says, but Paul chose Silas and left. Which I'm, When we get to 16, he's going to be thankful he did. Being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. The Lord used interpersonal difficulty to send two teams out instead of one. 
As a result, twice as many believers were encouraged and twice as much ministry ensued. The Lord always knows best. Say that again. How many of y'all know the Lord always knows best? What the enemy meant for evil, God turns around for good. Six ways in which God guides his people are through church harmony, through gifted men and women in the body, through the gift of the Spirit charismatically, through the desires we have personally, through concerns we feel internally, and through interpersonal difficulty. Now let's go to chapter 16, and we will see three more. Chapter 16. I wanted to share this with you because I think it goes along good with chapter 16. Perhaps you recall the story. A man bought a painting at a Philadelphia flea market for $18. The painting was rather plain, but the frame was of interest to him. And after returning home, he set to work to remove the canvas. When a piece of paper tucked inside caught his eye. As he carefully extracted the document, he was amazed to find one of the four, only four original copies of the Declaration of Independence which he in turn sold for over $4 million. This incident interests us because often when we look at a passage of Scripture, we see it framed and painted, only to find that behind the scenes there can be a wealth of information waiting to be discovered. Such is the case in Acts 15 and 16, where not only does Paul deal with the issue of legalism, but also with the ways God makes his will known to us. In Acts chapter 16, is it all right if we read it all? It's 40 scriptures here, but why not? Where else are you going to go tonight? Praise the Lord. All right. I got you captivated audience. Acts chapter 16, this is a great story. I'm telling you, everything of Paul is like Jerry Springer on steroids, and, uh, but God used him in a mighty way. Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Well, we know who this is, right? The son of a Jewish woman who was who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. I don't know how old Timothy was, but we need to pray for him even all these years later. How many of y'all, can you imagine? For they all knew the father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through a Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the, in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to the, so putting out to the sea from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were standing in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the woman who had assembled, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. If uh, this is a great topic when you're studying the seven churches, especially when you know the history of Thyatira, 
man, this is this goes along so good with it. But that's for a different day. A sailor, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, who listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she heard, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, "If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay." And she prevailed upon us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Don't you love Paul? I'm so thankful for Paul. Not only does he... Get in arguments with his friends, but he also gets annoyed. This is comforting me tonight. Amen. And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out in that very moment. But when her master saw that there was uh, that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. And are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them. And proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had stuck, uh, struck them with many blows. They threw them into prison. Commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he having received such a command. Threw them into the inner prison. And fastened their feet into stocks. But about midnight. How many of y'all know the Lord works in the midnight hour? But about midnight, if I had time to preach, I would preach right now. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly, suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were fastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and, and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. Isn't this a great story? And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, and he and all his household. And he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have, been, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. This guy is so bold. The policeman reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Y'all ready to break this down together? Okay, let me wind myself back up. Here we go. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. 
This is verse 1 and 2. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who was in Lystra in Iconium. Five years have passed. Upon his return to the people who had stoned him, Paul discovered that his ministry took in a young man of real promise named Timothy. My point is this. You never know the example you are setting in whatever you're going through. Timothy had chosen the Lord because of the influence that was on Paul's life. How many of y'all know always somebody is watching you? Ray Stevens saying, Santa Claus is watching you. How many of y'all know your kids are watching you? Your grandkids are watching you. <clears throat> I love this scripture in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now we go to verse 3. Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews. I would be out. Paul would not be my pick of a mentor. Circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had decided upon the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. It seems as though Paul was always looking for young men to bring alongside him. Six times in six different epistles, Paul referred to Timothy and called him my son in the faith. If you're older in the faith, one of the greatest joys you'll ever have is that of investing yourself into a younger person. Paul had Timothy, with whom he would deliver decrees of liberty to new believers. Aren't you, don't you love First and Second Timothy? I love it. Uh, with whom he would deliver decrees of liberty to new believers, circumcised. Why would Paul... Um, the champion of liberty and grace placed Timothy under the ritualistic burden. Understand that Paul was not compromising his theology. No, he was conforming to the higher priority of love. You see, although Timothy's father was Greek, his mother was a Jew, making Timothy a Jew as well. So Paul didn't want Timothy to be a stumbling block to the very people he sought to win. On the other hand, in Galatians 2, when the Judaizers wanted to circumcise Titus, Paul absolutely forbade it. I don't know if you remember that, but he forbade it. Why? Because Titus was a Gentile. I was trying to understand that, but I thought that was pretty good. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19, it says, For though I am now, I am free. This is where it is. Uh, free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Amen. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. So, so those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may be all by all means Save some. I'm telling you, there's some people. There's. Uh, let me say this. All people, you won't reach them with pride. You've got to have a heart of humility. Amen? Are we willing to give up our rights so that we won't unnecessarily cause someone else to stumble? Are we, like Timothy, willing to give up our liberty for the sake of love and effective ministry? The cost is always worth it. Verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. 
They were established not in programs, not in hype, but in faith. Later on, Paul would say to these very people, Oh, foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Let's look at it. You foolish Galatians, Galatians 3.1, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Uh, from you, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I think if Paul were writing to the church in America, he would say the same thing. Oh, foolish American Christians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by programs? Oh, it's getting hot in here. Let's turn the AC up. Would you all agree? I'd agree. Verse 6, it says, They passed through uh, Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Look at that. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Here's the seventh time in Acts 15 and 16 we see the Lord directing His people. If you go back to 15 and 16, you definitely see it. This time is through physical infirmity. Paul wanting to go into Asia, present-day Turkey, was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. But Paul was one who didn't take no easily. He was stoned in Lystra, but returned to the city the very next day. In Acts 14, 20, that's where we see it. He got up, so the disciples stood, stood around him. He got up, entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. In Acts 21, the Spirit said, don't go to Jerusalem, but Paul went anyway. We will look at this later on, but once Paul decided to do something, nothing would deter him. Doesn't this give you encouragement of times you've told the Lord no? But God still used Paul. So how did the Spirit stop Paul from going into Turkey? Most Bible scholars believe Paul was struck at this time with a brutal infirmity, a sickness, an Asian fever so severe that his eyesight would be permanently damaged. We see it in Galatians 4.13. But you know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself, where then... Is that sense of blessing you had. For I bear you witness that. If possible you would have plucked out your eyes. And given them to me. I believe this is what happened. Because in verse 10. We see the pronouns we and us. Replacing they and them. As Luke joined the journey. Very possibly to attend the medical needs of Paul. I want you to always know. That sickness and disease comes from the enemy. But if we open the door through disobedience. Look out. But thank God for his grace and his mercy. Verse 8. And passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Look at, I want you to pay close attention to this scripture right here. So he has a vision. A man of Macedonia. Everybody say man. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. At Troas, with his back against the Mediterranean Sea, Forbidden to go into Turkey, Paul returned to the coast where the environment was much healthier. Once there, he, he must have wondered, where do I go? What do I do now? Here I launched out enthusiastically to serve the Lord, but nothing's going right. Ever feel that way? You're probably in just the right spot for a vision. 
Here in the eighth time in Acts 15 and 16, we see God guiding his people as he directs through vision supernaturally. While I have had dreams that have ministered to my heart, I have never had a vision that directed me. Which is okay because I'm reminded in Jeremiah 23, 28 that dreams are as a chaff compared to the wheat of the word. I wanted to give it to you in, in other, another translation. It says, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord. As a pastor, I sometimes get frustrated with people who want, want to know God's will but won't come to Bible study. If I had to choose between the word and a vision, I'd take the word every time. So now we get to verse 10 here. It says, when he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So so putting out to the sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to get, a, get the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So upon entering the city of Philippi, look at this. Paul and his company must have looked for a synagogue, as was their custom. And we've seen this many times. Finding none, they instead found a woman gathered on the bank of a river for their own Sabbath meeting. It's interesting to me that although Paul heard the voice of a Macedonian male in verse 9, when he arrived, he found only women in verse 13. So too, sometimes I feel the Lord directing and guiding, but when I reach my destination, I find it a whole lot different than I expected. So don't ever say you missed God. Doesn't this give you encouragement? A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. He's saying, If you found us to be faithful, come to our house. Uh, What could Paul say? No wonder Lydia was a successful saleswoman. Following after Paul in us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming you to the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit. Look at this. She continued doing this for several days. Many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. I mean, you all know after days of this, you're going to get annoyed. And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. Why did Paul want this girl to stop? Because although her message was true, the medium was all wrong. It's like someone asking you to give your testimony in a Playboy magazine. Now, I brought this up with a couple of men last night. I was actually asked this a couple of, uh, oh, it's probably a week ago, a guy He's one of those guys that he always asks you questions that put you kind of in a corner. But he said, if Playboy magazine was to come to you and ask you to write your testimony, would you put it in there? And I'm going to give you my answer right here. My answer was no, because I don't need or want this ministry to be advertised by that which is contrary to the message of Jesus Christ. The Christian community is becoming increasingly weakened. 
I believe because we have too often said we'll use the worldly source to communicate the gospel. <clears throat> People aren't reading articles in Playboy magazine anyway. It says for many days. Why then did Paul allow this girl to cry out for many days before commanding the spirit to come out of her? I believe he was waiting for the green light, the authority of the Holy Spirit before stepping out in the power of the Spirit. You have to be led by His leading. Now we go to verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope, the prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing the city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up Together against them, the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. I'm telling you, his life don't get much better than this. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard their, them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The final way we see God guiding his people through throughout the past two chapters is through the giving of thanks continually. As he did with Paul and Silas, God directs our lives when we're in the posture of prayer and praise. I'm in the midnight hour, you say. You might say that tonight. I'm in the midnight hour. It's so dark. I'm trapped, locked in with no way out. I don't know what to do. Quit griping and start singing. Amen. Then like Paul and Silas, you will see things happen to you, around you, and through you. Let's, I want to read this great commentary by uh, John Corson. None of us like to get beat up. In our text, we see Paul and Silas beaten, bruised, and bloodied. But instead of grabbing their bats and swinging, they glorified God by singing. I suggest three reasons Paul and Silas could sing in such a dark hour. Paul and Silas beat, beating showed the desperation of the enemy. When you find yourself beaten up, it means Satan considers you a threat to his dominion of death and darkness. I can recall one such incident that stands out vividly in my memory. It blew my mind when a man I had never met, but who was obviously demonized, looked, looked me in the eye and said in, in a voice not completely his own, John Corson, I know you and I hate you. Although it freaked me out initially, I rejoiced later on because... Whenever Satan and his demons have our number, it means they're threatened. Paul and Silas' beating was a validation of their ministry. In Colossians 1, 23 through 24, Paul would later write, I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoices in my sufferings for you, or sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. In other words, part of Paul's job as a minister was to fill up or complete the suffering of Jesus. Wait a minute, you say. Are you saying that the suffering of Christ on the cross was not sufficient? No, his work on the cross was completely sufficient, validated by his resurrection. The idea here in Colossians relates to the church. You see, even as Jesus today has thorn prints on his brow, Nail holes in his hands and feet, lash marks on his, on his back, and spear wounds in his side. So too, his church must bear the marks of suffering. If his body is to, be, to fully conform to and correctly reflect him, some, like Paul and Silas, will have to suffer brutally. 
Paul, and think about places like in, you know, American church, we don't think about this, but think about places like in Pakistan and Russia and the things that they go through. Um, Paul and Silas' beating was an, an indication of their maturity. You'll never know how far along you are in a maturation maturation process until you get beaten up. Trials neither make nor break us. They reveal what is going on on the inside of us. Thus, when you're beaten up verbally, emotionally, and perhaps even physically, you have an opportunity to see how much the Lord has accomplished in your life. Christians are like tea bags, folks. We'll never know what our flavor is until we're in hot water. Isn't that good? That was worth all of it, just to say that. After teaching at a retreat in Palm Springs, I decided to go for a walk. It was about 90, or it was about 9.30 at night and about 95 degrees outside. Walking briskly down Palm Canyon Drive, I was reading the word and thinking about this text when, failing to see a puddle in the middle of the pavement, I lost my footing and fell flat on my back. My glasses flew off, my Bible landed in the middle of the street, and I lay there in a, in a mud and blood, rejoicing and thinking, What a great illustration it would be for this study. Feeling pretty good as I picked up my Bible and glasses, I continued on. After about three miles of walking and reading, my foot hit a crack in the cement, causing me to lunge forward and break my sandal in the process. Knowing I had to walk back barefoot for five miles on hot cement, I wasn't rejoicing. Thinking one trial per per walk should be sufficient. When the second one came my way, I was... Far from singing, but the, by the time I got back to the hotel, it was 11:30. My feet were cut. I was upset. Then the Lord whispered in my ear, "You see, John, it's not the expected trial that reveals where you're at. It's the one that sneaks up behind you that shows you what's really going on inside." We all know, isn't this good? We all know of potential trials that will come our our way next week, but it's the ones we don't expect that will reveal what's going on internally. You who are beaten up today by persecution on the job, ridicule on the campus, or uh, ostracism from your family, Isaiah 54 is for you. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness of me, saith the Lord. Know this, you who are beaten up, no weapon that comes against you will prosper. You can be sure of that. Ask Paul and Silas. Yes, they were beaten up, but they went out victoriously into deeper ministry and fuller glory. Perhaps you're saying it's fine for you uh, spiritual giants to talk about being beaten up, uh, beaten up for your spirituality. Good for you, but that's not where I'm at. I'm not beating I'm not being beaten up. I'm beaten I'm being beaten down by my family, my marriage, my job. You too can have hope today because although Paul and Silas were beaten up, the jailer was beaten down just like you. Roman law decreed that prison guards guards were to serve the sentence of any prisoner who escaped while in their charge. No doubt in the Philippian dungeon there were those who had committed capital offenses and were about to be executed. Consequently, this jailer said, my head's going to roll tomorrow, so hand me a sword and I'll take my life right now. Just as he was about to do himself in, Paul said, don't do that. We're all still here. So it was that jailer beaten down by circumstances beyond his control. 
who was saved in the very dungeon in which he sought to take his own life. If you're beaten down, know this. God is going to do something wonderful even in the situation that is presently depressing or distressing. If you're beaten up like Paul and Silas, God will work through you to bring others to himself. If you're beaten down like the Philippian jailer, God will work for you to bring you to himself. Whether you're beaten up or beaten down, you can rejoice. Why? Because Satan has been beaten back. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own, uh, to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Satan has been beaten back because the back of Jesus was beaten. By whom? By the Father. The Father beat the Son. Why? One reason, to purchase a bride for him. The Father said, I love my son so much, I'm going to smite him, beat him, lay upon him the judgment, wrath, damnation that should have fallen on John. Because forgiven, pure, and robed in righteousness, John will make a perfect bride for him. Now, if this be so, if God the Father paid that kind of price for me to be the bride of his son, if he beat his son in order that I might be, be healed, then he is equally committed to continue to do good things through me and good things for me. You who are beaten down today by a relationship that isn't working out, money that isn't coming in, a job that isn't opening up, Isaiah 54, 1 says, Sing, O barren, that thou didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, that thou that, that, thou that didst Man, King James, not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, said the Lord. Sing, shout for joy, you who are barren and dry, uh, you who are beaten down by the circumstances of life, because you will be more fruitful, more prosperous, more blessed than the one who seems to be doing so well in the world right now. Enlarge the place of thy tent, Isaiah 54, 2. And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen my cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. What are you to do, you who are beaten down? Because his back was beaten, know this. He's going to do good things for you. Don't kill yourself, don't curse, don't mourn, don't moan, don't gripe, don't despair. Rather, sing out today and say, Lord, if you love me enough to smite your son for me, I trust you. I even though, I, And even though I feel barren, dry, and desolate, I'm going to enlarge my tent and prepare for your blessing. Beaten up or beaten down, either way, rejoice because Satan has been beaten back through the beaten back of the son. Isn't that good? I thought it was worth sharing with you guys. So we get to verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison house was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer of the prison had escaped, knowing heads would roll, when news of the escape reached his superiors, the jailer said, I'll just kill myself now and get it over with. Verse 28, it says, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. 
And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Not only have I been shaken up by the earthquake under me, but I'm shaken up by the facts that you guys didn't split when you had the chance. Isn't that something? Why are you in prison? Why are things not happening? Why aren't things opening up as quickly as you hoped they would? Could it be because there are prisoners and jailers watching who are about to see what happens in your life when things are shaken up? This is for somebody tonight. Could it be because there are people who need to see what's going to happen to you in the midnight hour? For the most part, prosperity creates jealousy in other people. It's the world we live in, right? But when those around you hear you singing in the day of adversity, like the jailer, they will say, what must I do to be saved? Come on, believers. How many of y'all know we must have the joy of the Lord? Verse 31, it says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This does not mean as has been suggested, if you believe your whole household will be saved. No, it means you believe and you'll be saved. And when your family believes, they'll be saved as well. How many of y'all know we need to become a witness, folks? Verse 32, it says, and they spake. Y'all enjoy this, going through the word here? And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, all his straightway. You know a person is truly saved when he wants to wash and cleanse your wounds. Isn't that amazing? Then he goes to verse 34. And he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. So after the jailer had held Paul and Silas under house arrest, the word came to let them go. And then it goes to verse 37. But Paul said to them, They've been, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and I have thrown us into prison. And now, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves to bring us out. So thinking Paul and Silas were merely Jews, the magistrates felt completely justified in beating them without a trial. But to have done so to a Roman citizen, it was a great, grave offense. This is where I see um, Paul is so smart here. Wisdom. So the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. So why didn't Paul say, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen before the thrashing was unleashed. Before his back was beaten. Before he was cast into the dungeon. Before he was locked in stocks. Why didn't Paul claim his Roman citizenship earlier? And why didn't he claim it when he did? I believe the answer lies in verse 40. And they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Notice that Paul and Silas comforted the brethren. This poses an interesting question. Up until the time Paul and Silas landed in prison... All they had seen were women. Who then were these brethren? I suggest they were the prisoners who in the dungeon with Paul were converted when they heard this, his songs of praise. 
Paul's mindset concerning himself was, go ahead, beat me. Throw me in prison. I've been looking for some men to work with. Now I can begin my jail ministry. <laughs> uh, amen? Sorry if y'all think I'm crazy, but that's the way I see it. But his mindset concerning others was, I'm a Roman citizen, and I'll be watching you, so you better watch your step with my brothers. When you and I come to this point where we can say, I don't care what happens to me, but when it comes to my brothers and sisters, I'll go to the wall for them and do what I can, whatever I can to cover and protect them. That's maturity. Most of us protect ourselves and figure whatever happens to others is God's will. Paul did just the opposite. No wonder the Lord could use him. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously. You help us change lives and produce weekly content like this that reaches the world. If you're interested in partnering with us, you can give by clicking the link in our bio, through the website arenaoflifechurch.org, or through the Church Center app. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.